Hello, folks. Before we begin, think to yourself. Have you listened to something new lately? Because on the Simply Scary Podcast Network, there is always something new to try. Don't miss the latest episode of Fear from the Heartland with Paul J. McSurley, airing on Wednesdays. And, of course, don't forget Drew Blood's Dark Tales, Horror Hill with Eric Peabody, and, of course, Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. You can find them all at simplyscarypodcast.com, on YouTube, or your favorite podcasting service. Or be sure to visit the chillingtalesfordarknights.com website and become a patron and hear extended episodes from our vast audio archive. Join us for a while, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 13, Episode 5. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Kyle Harrison. Tonight, we'll hear stories of rituals gone wrong, not-so-sweet meteors of death, fires with minds of their own, parties that won't be forgotten. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the tear, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now... It's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seeing things. Sadly, it's something most people would expect from those getting up in years. Though it's rare that when someone sees something, that it might just be there even though no one else can see it. Trouble is, when something you can't see is hurting you. Without further ado, I present to you Wrong Ghost. Can you reverse an exorcism? Let me clear the air a little so we're all on the same page. I know you're probably wondering, why would I even ask something like that? I work as an in-home health aide for the elderly in my community, and up until a few months ago I hardly believed in the supernatural at all. It started when one of my regular clients, Ronnie, began confusing me with his deceased grandson, Sam. Or at least that's what I thought was happening. I assumed, because Ronnie had recently moved back in with the family, that memories of him were too great to ignore, so the first few times it happened, I just shrugged it off. The third time it occurred, I realized that he wasn't actually referring to me as Sam, but that he seemed to believe he was in the same room with us. That's such a cute bear you have there. He said one day as I pushed his wheelchair to the dining room, I decided to finally address the issue head-on. Ronnie, who are you speaking to? I asked as I started to prepare his meal. Sam, of course. He just got a new toy bear and he's playing with it. He said matter-of-factly, gesturing to the empty chair. You believe that Sam's here? Ronnie, do you remember what happened to Sam a few years back? I wanted to make it clear I wasn't saying these words to confuse my client or make him feel stupid for his beliefs, or even hurt his feelings. He's actually been showing signs of improvement in his memory, thanks to some new medicine that his son has him on. In fact, it surprised me more when Ronnie told me exactly what he remembered. Well, of course I do. Don't treat me like a child. He fell down the stairs and broke his neck. I was the one who found him, goddammit, he said irritably. 
but he was also adamant that Sam's spirit was there in the room. Some essence of his grandson remained. I brought up the matter with his family immediately, when the wife returned from work that evening. So he believes that he's seen Sam's spirit? She asked me. There were tears in her eyes. I wasn't under the family's employ when they lost their only child, but just from the short time I'd been there, I can easily tell you that that little boy was loved very much. I was just wondering if you want me to do anything about it. It's not exactly healthy for him to exhibit this sort of behavior, I pointed out. I'll talk with Martin about it and see what he recommends, but honestly... Her voice was quivering as she held back more tears. I don't see the harm in it all. Not one to argue with my employer, I decided to let it drop, and played pretend with Ronnie any time that he claimed that Sam was in the room. One day we were out watering his plants, and he had put me on weeding, claiming that he wanted to plant some new tulips for spring. I was feeling particularly irritated with him that day because he kept complaining about how the ghost was asking for things a certain way. Bring those hedges, too, while you're at it. Sam likes to look out toward the woods. I dropped my tools and glared at the old man. Forgive me for sounding rude, sir, but I'm sick and tired of taking orders from a spirit. As far as I'm concerned, I'm not doing a thing unless your family requests it specifically. I blurted out. Sam is my family, he countered. He doesn't exist. I'm tired of playing make-believe, I argued. I stormed out of the garden, away from his wheelchair, too frustrated to argue with a confused elderly man any longer. I walked to the kitchen and grabbed myself a drink, staring at the pictures of Sam on the fridge that were on display. He was a very lively and very happy little boy. I suddenly felt very guilty for not feeding Ronnie's fantasy, and walked back to the garden to apologize. That was when I saw him on the ground like he'd had a stroke. I ran over to him and saw his eyes rolling back, and I tried to keep his airways open as I panicked. I reached for my cell phone. Emergency services arrived and took him to the clinic that same afternoon, and I half expected my job to be over when Martin and his wife called me. How is he? How bad were the seizures? I asked. The stroke was only a minor one. We were calling you to ask if you saw anyone in the garden alongside Dad, Martin answered. No. Why? What happened? I asked. He showed me the images that the clinic had taken. There were what appeared to be handprints on Ronnie's neck, indicating that he'd been strangled. They sent it over to the police to see if it matches anything in the database. Still, I feel like it might be a good idea to install security cameras near the back patio, he told me. I kept staring at the bruises, baffled at how an intruder could have entered and left so quickly without me hearing them. Ronnie didn't remember much of anything about the assault, and I used the next few weeks to guide him through physical therapy. I noticed that he seemed less enthusiastic about anything after the incident, and I found out the reason why when I was reorganizing the upstairs closet. Quite a few toys in there that could go to the goodwill, Ronnie. What do you say? We could get him out of the house for the rest of the day and pick up a burger from Steak and Shake, I suggested. Maybe we can find Sam, he said softly. I paused my duties and climbed off the stepladder 
to look him dead in the eye. Ronnie, you not been seeing Sam lately, I asked? Not since the garden. He made him sad and angry and he ran away, he muttered irritably. I gave him a curious look and remarked, Well, maybe I can help him come back. I went to the garden and began to trim the hedges, as he had originally requested, so that he could get a view of the forest. It was the least I could do, given the behavior I demonstrated. You really think this will bring Sam back? He asked excitedly. Well, we can cross our fingers and hope for the best. Now, what do you say we take these toys to goodwill? I paused and then reconsidered, realizing that some of the items I had boxed up were Sam's. Do you think that Sam will mind if I donate his things? I asked him. I don't know. You'll have to ask him when he gets back, the old man said. I sighed, realizing that was the response I should have anticipated. It seemed like every effort I was making to appease his fantasy was a step forward, but then a few backward as well. I did as much as I could for Ronnie that week to set things up in the house the way Sam would have wanted them. I have to admit it was odd playing make-believe that I was pleasing a ghost, but it all paid off that Saturday when we were watching Judge Judy in the den. For a short moment, there was a power outage, and I told Ronnie I'd go check the breaker. When I got back, I found that he was sobbing as he looked toward the nearby window. It looked like someone had opened it just enough to crawl through. What is it? Did something happen? I asked, my mind flashing back to the last time I left him alone. He's back. You did it. Thank God my Sammy is back, he said as he wiped tears away. I walked over to the window and was about to close it. Then he reached out and stopped me. Don't. It makes him feel locked up, Ronnie told me. The room felt different, and I considered the possibility that there really was a spirit in the room with us. It just felt like there was a presence there. And I'd never seen Ronnie happier, so I didn't dispute it. The next week, I kept listening to his demands. Martin and Melody were heading out of town for a business retreat in Colorado and told me that they would love to have me stay there the whole time to watch after Ronnie. I figured it would be the perfect time to help him be satisfied with everything that his ghost needed. It started out innocently keeping the air conditioner low because Sam was too warm, or it was to keep lights on uh, because the spirit was scared of the dark, or watching a certain program on TV because it was his favorite. Then he asked me to start bringing a few things down from the attic and decorating Sam's old room. There were boxes of toys up there just collecting dust. Before I did anything major, though, I Skyped Melody to make sure it wouldn't offend him. I know you've done your best to move on from the tragedy. That's why I figured it would be best to talk with you, I explained, as I showed her some of the things. Where'd you find all of this? Melody asked. Up in the attic in boxes. Your dad told me that was where you put all the stuff, I explained. She paused for a second as she looked over the items. None of this is Sam's, she decided firmly. What? I asked in confusion. We donated the majority of his things right after he passed. You probably found a few trinkets from the previous owners or something, she explained. I frowned in confusion and told her I had to go. 
I decided to start doing a little research. When it comes to real estate and the history of the house, there really isn't a better place to look than a local library. Unfortunately, that meant leaving Ronnie alone unattended for a few hours. I made sure he had everything he needed and started to find out more about the house. It didn't take me long to find something out of the ordinary. According to the archives, I found, the house was owned by a couple almost 30 years before they mysteriously vanished. Another article said that their son was the one responsible for killing them and then killing himself. Reports of child abuse were filed, but nothing ever actually done about it. Other snippets claimed the boy was a monster, constantly demanding every little thing from his parents. It got so bad they locked him in the attic. There was even a picture of the little boy from back in the late 70s. They had a striking resemblance to Sam. From far off, I would wager they looked identical. In the picture, the little boy had a toy bear. I borrowed a few books and continued the research, even in front of Ronnie, because what I was learning fascinated me. What are you reading? Ronnie asked as he rolled up behind me. I closed the laptop shut quickly and muttered, just a little mystery novel. I think it's time for your bath. He grumbled, but he didn't object as we went to the washroom. While I got everything ready, my mind was making a few connections to the recent events surrounding the ghost that Ronnie had been talking to. A young boy that lost his family. The ghost didn't like to be in the dark, or windows closed, locked away with his toys in the attic. I wasn't one to jump to conclusions, but I was starting to believe that Ronnie was in contact with a real spirit, but not Sam's. After the bath, I got him some ice cream and sat him out on the patio to talk about it. Ronnie, is Sam close by? I asked. Yes. He's over in the garden trying to catch grasshoppers. He said delightfully. Can you call him over here? I want to ask him a few things. You know he gets shy around me, so I figured maybe he would tell you and then you tell me, I said. He nodded and I waited for a moment before asking my first question. How old are you, Sam? Ronnie said eight. That was the first confirmation they needed. The real Sam was only five when he passed, but still I pressed on. Do you miss your mommy and daddy? No. Another confirmation that this wasn't Sam. You don't like having windows closed or being trapped, do you? He said he likes to look at the sun and doesn't like being locked away, Ronnie said. I decided to change gears. It was clear that this thing was communicating with me and wasn't afraid of the questions anymore. How long have you lived here alone? Forty-nine years. Ronnie seemed a bit confused by that answer, but I wasn't. That was exactly how long it had been since the boy I read about died. What happened to you, Mommy and Daddy? They didn't, Ronnie paused again disturbed by the answer he'd been given. What did he say, Ronnie? I pressed him. They didn't do what I wanted, so I shut them up, Ronnie muttered. That doesn't sound like Sam. I kept on going, too excited to lose the connection now. Did you hurt Ronnie, too, the other day in the garden? Yes. Why? Didn't do what I said. I like it when he listens, Ronnie said and then muttered. I don't like this anymore. Stop with the questions. I obliged him and wheeled him inside, 
feeling my heart beat faster as I turned on his favorite soap opera and walked back toward the garden. Whatever presence was there with me, it didn't feel friendly. I looked down toward the grass and saw a few crumpled up flowers. The spirit was angry that I called their bluff. Ronnie's a good man. Leave him alone. We don't want you here. Do you hear me? I screamed out. I don't know what I expected to happen. Maybe some poltergeist stuff flying around the backyard. I walked back inside and slammed the door shut, feeling proud of myself. That night, though, the spirit retaliated. I slept in the room across from Ronnie's, and I heard him making noises in the night. Normally that means that he wants to go to the bathroom, so I went in there to see what he might need, only to find that he seemed to be choking on something. I ran over to the side of the bed and used the Heimlich maneuver to make the food come up. Once he fully recovered, I saw that it looked like someone had tried to make him swallow a toy part. I looked around the room anxiously as Ronnie recovered. The window was open and I swear I saw a shadow cross in front of it. I resolved to sleep there in his room that night. In the morning, things got worse. Ronnie was trying to take a shower, and the water constantly got boiling hot. He even cussed a few times at me. Then some of his things went missing. He even started to blame me. Where the hell is Sam? I haven't seen him yesterday since you interrogated him, he muttered. I decided it was time to come straight with Ronnie. He seemed like he was in a good state of mind to talk sense to so I told him about the spirit and how he had been lied to. Much to my surprise, he was even angrier than me. What we need is a damn exorcist, he suggested. I told him I'd look into it, but the search I made seemed to turn up very few results. It's not like this is something you can find in the yellow pages. Later that afternoon, I saw that Ronnie had been locked out of the house somehow. I apologized to him and told him that it must have been the spirit again, playing tricks on us. Are you crazy? Sam was with me the whole time, and he was upset as me that we were locked out, Ronnie muttered. I froze as I looked past the old man and realized that the ghost was toying with me. I told you to leave us alone, I muttered angrily at the phantom. Don't talk to my grandson that way. I'll have you know I can have you replaced, Ronnie muttered. I shook my head in desperation, realizing that the ghost had managed to trick him again and make him think that this was really his grandson. I decided my only option was to perform the exorcism myself. I'm not going to lie. Looking up bizarre rituals and possessions online felt out of place for me. None of it made a lick of sense, but after a few hours of dabbling here and there, I found a few solid leads on the proper ritual to undertake to cleanse a house. I decided to do it the next day when Ronnie took a nap. I didn't want him to have a heart attack if the ghost decided to fight back. I finished all the preparations around 3.30 that afternoon and called out to the spirit. Some part of me expected that maybe it would just leave on its own accord when it saw the different measures I'd taken to ward it off. Instead... The vicious ghost attacked with full force, starting to levitate objects and toss them toward me as I began to chant the necessary words. I heard screaming. I looked toward Ronnie, worried that he'd wake up and see the mysterious force that was wrecking his home. I kept going, 
I could feel someone strengthening their grip around my chest and neck, the same way Ronnie had been attacked in the garden. I finished the spell just as I was about to lose air, and then everything in the house grew silent. Windows shattered, and the wind rushed in. I felt a chill run down my spine, and then nothing happened. Ronnie woke up with a start, clearly confused by the mess. I told him it was a burglar, and he returned to sleep. I spent the rest of the day cleaning up, being rather proud of myself for having accomplished something so mystical. That was about a week back. We haven't heard from the spirit since. You would think that this would be good news, but... I see Ronnie the way he used to be when I first came here, distant and forlorn, looking out toward the woods as though expecting to see his grandson again. Martin and Melody have asked me why he no longer speaks about Sam, and I haven't had the heart to explain exactly what happened, or that it was never Sam to begin with. I sat down and talked with Ronnie a few days ago, a little heart-to-heart, to figure it all out. You miss him, don't you? I asked. Every damn day. Sammy was a light in my life, Ronnie muttered. I miss him too, Ronnie. But that thing that was here with us, it wasn't Sam, I told him. He looked at me, confused. Wasn't my Sammy? What are you talking about? You think I wouldn't know my own grandson? He tried to hurt you, I told him. It was an accident. I fell. Sam would never hurt me, not my Sam. He paused, then looked at me angrily. You. You're the reason he's gone. He muttered. Ronnie, I was trying to protect you. It was a lie. It wasn't Sam. He looked down at his hands, sad and defeated. Maybe it wasn't, he admitted. Then he curled his lip up and a tear trickled down his cheek. Why did he have to go? He was hurting us, Ronnie, I repeated to him. His eyes glazed again in confusion as he started to repeat. Bring him back. I miss him. I couldn't let the argument linger any further. I asked Melody if there was anything I could do to make things right. I told you before, let him have his fun. The ghost was the world to him. Don't take that away from him, she said. But what if it wasn't Sam, I asked her. She didn't quite seem to understand what I was asking. But her answer is what spurred my inquiry here. I've looked online and tried as hard as I could for the past few days to find anything that might reverse the spell. But I haven't found anything. And Ronnie has only gotten more and more detached from all of us. He hardly eats now. He hardly even talks. The only time he even has a bit of color on his face is when we go out to the garden. I keep the shrubs trimmed so he can look toward the wood. And maybe there's the off chance that something might find its way here and bring comfort to him again. I know this sounds foolish, to let a spirit wander into our lives or to wish that a particularly dangerous one could return. But I've thought about it for a while, and I don't think it'll do us any harm if we do as it asks. This probably doesn't make sense to you, but if you saw Ronnie and the way his eyes glaze over when we put away those old trinkets into the attic again, you'd know why this matters so much. It wasn't Sam, you know. I told him as I closed the attic door. It was one last attempt to help him see the truth. Ronnie got even sadder as he looked down at the floor. He repeated what his daughter-in-law had said almost exactly. 
Even if that is true, to me it was him. So why take that from me? He asked. I couldn't find an answer to that question. I still don't have one. Maybe I'm not meant to. So I ask again, on behalf of a lonely and sad grandfather, does anyone know if you can reverse an exorcism? I hope you enjoyed Wrong Ghost by Kyle Harrison, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Harrison. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. Prolific, didactic, but never anemic. You'd be hard-pressed to find where Kyle Harrison isn't around on the Internet. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. Don't you just hate when you send ghosts away only for everyone to want them back? It's almost like they're asking to be haunted. But I guess it's better to have someone to talk to than not, even if the dead aren't the greatest conversationalists. There are only so many times you can hear. So I was walking through the wall for the 400th time when... Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. But let's go back to a family of the living for a moment as we meet a father who's about to spend some quality time with his three sons. And it would be a lovely time for everyone, except for an unexpected arrival that definitely... We'll be putting a damper on the morning's fishing trip. Without further ado, I present to you our first camping trip. Christy, I don't know how to start this letter except to tell you the awful truth. Our sons are dead. I'm sitting here alone in the mountain cabin you rented for us, drenched in blood. 
My hand is shaky, and I feel pain in my soul. Our children died by my hand. I have to admit this to you. And once you read this letter fully, you'll understand why I had no choice. Someday you may even find it in your heart to forgive me, but I'm not asking for that right now. Instead, I want you to please read this with an open mind. I know that what I'll tell you is going to seem unbelievable, but I swear on my life, on my soul, this is precisely what happened. It may be my last chance to get the facts straight, so I beg of you to read it all the way through and then come to your own conclusions. If not for me, then for the three amazing boys we raised together. This is their last testament as well. It made my heart flutter with excitement when you surprised me on my birthday with a weekend getaway to your dad's old cabin. We haven't been there since he passed, and there has been an ache in my bones to go up to the mountains. Plus, the boys had never been at all. The boys have been antsy as well, either due to school or just the stress of life. They'd heard about the last trip, but never really experienced the mountains like we had. And, of course, you knew we all needed a break. The most disappointing thing was when I found out you wouldn't be able to join us. Your mom wanted us to have a boys' trip, enjoy the outdoors unfettered. I knew she also wanted to use the time to be with you. Her health hasn't improved much since Christmas, and I could tell from your phone calls that life-changing discussions would be happening soon. I didn't press the issue or show that I was going to miss you. Instead, I kissed your cheek, squeezed your hand, and promised I'd enjoy myself, even if that was only half true. I made a promise also to myself that I would give my best. It was easy for my attitude to change when I saw our boys packing. All of them have taken after me with their love of the woods, especially Garrett. Last year we bought him a crossbow, and he was especially interested in taking it with us and trying it out on a few hawks. I bought some gear as well because I figured this would give me a chance to teach Luke how to fire a gun for the first time in his life. The boy is eight, and honestly, he let his older brothers do this stuff when they were six. Maybe it's because he's the baby and we're too protective, but I was determined to make this trip special for him. Colt was the only one who didn't seem to have the same enthusiasm about the trip. My guess at the time was that some girl had him wrapped around her finger, and he wasn't keen on being away in the hills without a way to keep in contact. In the past, before your dad died, the cabin was hooked up with Wi-Fi and all the modern amenities, but from what I've gathered now, your mom only kept the bare minimum amount of maintenance on the place. This trip felt like we were saying goodbye to a lot of things, if I'm not being honest. Um, so that made my resolve to enjoy it even further. With fishing gear, hunting knives, bows, and other luggage loaded into the Tahoe, we were ready to go that Thursday night. Thanks to a school holiday, we had three days to enjoy and get lost out in the woods, and the weather said it would be clear all the way. It would be a five-hour drive, and we'd drop you off at your mom's house and be at the cabin around noon on Friday. Garrett wanted to leave that same night and hardly slept a wink. He was asking questions about trails, fishing spots, 
and even found a few caves he wanted to explore. Even Colt was finally coming around to the idea of it, thanks to that attitude. I think the last thing I told you before I waved goodbye to your moms was that I would call you when I got there. Of course, I entirely forgot that cell phones don't work here. It was just a force of habit, and we laughed. You felt confident that our children would be safe with me and that you would see us again on Monday morning. A short trip, but we were going to make the most of it. By now, any blues I had were long gone, and for the remainder of the trip, I played I Spy with Luke. Garrett was half asleep, and Colt listened to tunes as we got further up the mountains. Leaving the world behind without a care. At the final rest stop where I had a signal, I checked to be sure you hadn't messaged me. I was almost about to let you know we were near our destination, but decided not to bother you. We then drove another 45 minutes and made it to the cabin. There isn't another structure for miles. Your dad owned so much land up here with his logging business, and most of the forest is still untouched. We did see a few of the trucks about five miles down south past, but nothing that would interrupt the untamed beauty of the mountaintop. Luke ran up toward the overlook on the east side of the cabin and hollered excitedly toward the valley below. It echoed for miles. The cabin itself is just like we left it, frozen in time, I suppose. A massive den opens in the front with your dad's hunting trophies on the back wall. Garrett asked me if that old blunderbuss your dad kept actually fired. I told him I'd hate to find out. A kitchen to the left, along with a downstairs bathroom and game room, and an office. I told the boys to take their stuff upstairs as I pulled off some of the drapes from the furniture. No one has bothered any of this stuff since the last time we were here, so it was rather dusty, but the rustic feel of the cabin was very inviting. The large back patio with sliding glass doors looked toward the East Valley as well. It's right above the basement stairs where the laundry and freezer and generator are, and it's also a perfect place to sit and drink an ice-cold beer. I have to admit I wish I'd brought some. Looking toward the miles of forest, felt lonely and exhilarated all at the same moment. The woods were so quiet, almost haunting. I wondered if, during the time we spent there, we'd even find something worth hunting for. Luke was first on the patio, checking out the old binoculars that were still sitting on the deck and scanning the forest for any signs of life. The forest did seem unusually still, though. He asked me if we could go bird spotting later in the day, and I said we would. Then I told him to get his brothers and help me with the fishing gear. The plan was to go to the old pond and fetch our dinner like real wilderness explorers. The boys met me at the Tahoe, and I found as I saw Colt still wasting time on his cell phone, despite the fact there wasn't a good signal here. He was waving it around in the air, hoping for one last chance to shoot a text. I tossed the phone in the back of the Tahoe and ordered him to lug the lure box, leading all of them down a western path, then zigzagged to the pond where your dad fished all the time. For the rest of the afternoon, we lazily sat on the pier in lawn chairs and cast our lines. Colt brought a radio, but instead of catching any tunes, it was just weather reports. A meteor shower was expected for the night. Luke asked if we could stay up and watch it. 
It was just a relaxing day. I remember thinking that this was the sort of escape I needed. But it wasn't meant to last. After catching a few trout, I told the boys to head inside and shower while I went to the basement to get the fish. We were going to eat our small catch and then probably watch one of the VHS tapes that your dad collected. The evening wore down without a hitch and I found myself just barely able to stay awake as all of us plied on the couch to watch a classic B-movie, something about an invasion. Somewhere in the middle of the black and white film I drifted off, and the boys were just as dead tired, too. I wish I could say I had good dreams that night. But the smell of burnt popcorn is the last decent memory I have. Somewhere along in the night, all of us were awakened by the loudest crash. Garrett jumped first, and I fumbled to find the lights. All of us were staring out the back door, where we saw a distinct trail of ash flowing up from the edge of the valley. A few moments later, the power in the cabin went out, and I guessed whatever had happened out in the woods was affecting the generator. The boys wanted to go investigate. I told them to stay put until I found a working flashlight, but every device I tried in the cabin was suddenly drained of power. That didn't sit right with me, and it made my curiosity intensify as I told the boys to stay close and follow me toward the impact site. The air seemed unusually still that night. Not even the crickets were stirring. And it occurred to me that we had not seen a single sign of animal life since arriving at the cabin. Did they somehow know about this beforehand? I knew that instinct could easily have driven them away. And I was getting a feeling in my stomach that maybe we should leave too. A few miles down an old trail, we found the crater. Luke excitedly hollered at the strange smoke in the area while I focused on the deep hole made in the earth. Whatever had crashed had gone down quickly, but it was too far down to make heads or tails of what it might be. I urged the boys to stay away from the edge as I tried to see if there was a different way to get down there and have a better look. Maybe it was the sixth sense that overtook me, but after several minutes of standing there staring at the hole, got a hold of myself and told the boys we should all head inside. I promised we'd come back in the morning and try to get a sample of whatever had crashed, but honestly, I just wanted to get out of there. Whatever was in that hole, it did not feel friendly in the slightest. They objected a little, but it was too dark for them to argue, especially when I pointed out that the noise would attract predators. Cole tried to say that there wasn't a bear for miles, but I gave him the stink eye and he shut his mouth. Back in the cabin, I told them to all go to bed. Once I was sure they were in their rooms, I went out to the patio and looked toward the crater again. The hairs in the back of my neck were standing up as I heard this faint noise. I couldn't be sure where it was coming from. It almost felt like it was engulfing me. I rubbed my tired eyes and collapsed on the couch. I had no reason to think anything else would happen that night. But boys will be boys. As I slept, they concocted a plan to go down into the crater. I'm not sure whose idea it was or if it mattered, but they somehow managed to sneak past me and gather rope and climbing equipment from the basement on the way. I only found out because when I woke to go to the restroom, I nearly jumped from the couch. Luke was standing there keeping an eye on me as a lookout.
as soon as he saw how angry I was. He panicked and claimed it was all Garrett's idea, but I didn't care. I just needed to know where they were. Luke nervously pointed to the crater. I rushed into the night to find his brothers. He was right at my heels as I shouted to his older brothers, thanking the stars they hadn't descended into the pit when I found them. Colt found a rope, though. I was testing it against the trunk of a tree when I caught them red-handed. And, of course, I scolded them. But I was also thankful I hadn't arrived a moment too late. Or so I thought. Luke was catching his breath near the precipice when the ground gave way under his feet. It happened in slow motion. I tried to grab him, but he fell so quickly all I could do was watch and listen to his scream. The world felt like it was spinning as I shouted to him, trying to make sure he was okay. My heart raced even faster when he didn't respond. I told Colt to pass me the rope. He hurriedly obeyed me, and I wrapped it tight around my waist. Then I used the heavy tree as my hoist to head into the dark pit. I kept calling to Luke, but couldn't see anything. The pit felt like it was a mile long, and every second that I couldn't find him felt like a lifetime. Finally, I hit the bottom, and I tried to feel around for our sun. The ground was cool, hard, and filled with indentations. Something from above had definitely crashed here, and it made me nervous to realize I was standing on top of this otherworldly object. I also felt a crack in the middle, like an eggshell splintering. Something sticky was oozing out, and I imagined the most repulsive yoke. Finally, I touched Luke's hand and pulled him to my chest. I also felt blood, and that made me panic. I needed to get up and get him to the hospital. I held him against my body and pulled away from the rock as fast as I could. I still felt his heart beating slowly, even though he was unconscious, and that gave me hope. I just needed him to hang on a little bit longer. Back at the mouth of the pit, I placed Luke on the ground and got a better look at his injuries. Blood and strange black powder smeared the right side of his face. I'm not going to lie to you, Christy. It looked bad. I tossed the rope off and ordered the boys to hurry for the Tahoe. My mind was racing as I ran with our youngest in my arms. Sure, my body was burning and pulsating with pain, but I didn't care. His life was on the line. My worst fears came true when we made it to the Tahoe, and I realized the power in the car battery had also been drained. We were miles from anywhere, and it was the dead of night. I told Colt to open the doors to the cabin, and I took Luke inside, placing him on one of the couches in the den. I then ordered Garrett to get the ice from the freezer and bandages from the downstairs bathroom as Colt closed the door. He was trying his best not to cry. I was too, if I'm being honest. And as I stared at Luke's face, I realized that black powdery substance seemed to be spreading. It was covering almost all of his head now, and I shouted for them to hurry as I took his shirt off and checked for any other injuries. Garrett and Colt stood aside as I kept trying to wake their brother, shouting his name. I didn't know what else to do. Pray to God that our boy had not been taken from us. Luke suddenly took a, a wide gasp and began to gag, his eyes bulging as he grabbed at his throat. That black material was now seeping into his airways. Fight it! Come on! 
Get him in the shower. Get this stuff off of him, I shouted hysterically as I tried to help him up. But it was already too late. A few moments later, Luke wasn't breathing at all, his body jerking violently to whatever that black stuff was doing to him. Then he was very, very still. I collapsed in a heap of tears as I grabbed at him and tried to make him come back to me. Garrett and Colt said nothing. I honestly don't know what they felt. If their brother was gone, I checked for vital signs a few more times, but it was pointless. I draped my coat over his body and stood up, trying not to lose my cool again, in front of my other two sons. They blabbered and cried and apologized, and I honestly couldn't even begin to describe how awful I felt as I held them. I promised we'd go home as soon as the power came back on. As we held each other there, near the back door, Colt wordlessly pushed away and pointed toward Luke. I turned in surprise to see our boy was sitting up, his entire body now an ashy brown color. His eyes were dark red, and that powder had been covered in was now slowly falling off his body like a mist. The thing that infected our son screamed and began to crawl toward us. Garrett and Colt fumbled over the furniture to race up to the kitchen. I ordered them upstairs and blocked the steps. The strange, undead abomination that wore Luke's face now didn't seem to be able to visibly find us, shambling about the den like a mad animal. Was it searching for food? Did it intend to harm us? I found the answer quickly as it shrieked and coughed up more powder, some of which burned my skin. I managed to wash it off in the kitchen sink, quickly realizing this alien menace was intent on killing and subduing all of us. Before I had time to even think about a plan, the thing was cornering me in the kitchen. I grabbed a knife to protect myself, its tongue spewing out of Luke's mouth and sliding across the floor. It was such an ungodly sight. I knew our son was gone, and I had to fight to save Garrett and Cole. I ran the knife into the creature's chest, then ripped it out to slash at the throat. I had no idea if it was simply using our son's body as a host, or if it had another way of survival, but I simply had to end it. The alien was stronger than I anticipated, grabbing me and pulling me toward the wall. Its skin bulged as it prepared to spew more powder in my eyes. But instead, a shriek exited its lungs as I heard the sharp thud of an arrow strike it. It lost its footing, and I looked up to see Garrett was holding his crossbow, prepared to fire again as the beast tossed me aside, and crawled up the side of the wall to the second floor. Garrett was not prepared for its ferocity and speed. I screamed and tried to draw the beast's attention to me as I struggled to stand, but it was already too late again. It burst out more of the black smoke, grabbing a hold of Garrett, and dragging him toward the edge of the second-floor railing. I motioned to Colt to run down the stairs as his older brother fought for his life, tumbling down to the den floor, crashing onto the coffee table. The beast was trying desperately to consume him, stretching Luke's skin like a net over his body. I yanked Colt toward me and ran for the basement, desperate for a new plan as Garrett begged me to help. I reached for the crossbow. He dropped and fired another shot. Somehow this one bounced off the creature. 
He'd hardened Luke's skin to become like a shell. Now I was helpless again, as my second son was eaten alive, screaming for mercy. Plunged into the basement, slamming the door closed, demanding we barricade with anything and everything we could find. Colt rushed and found several old boxes of junk and a few other items, but I knew it wouldn't be enough to do the trick. We had to find a way to escape the cabin to find help. Otherwise, we will all die here, I refused. I couldn't even properly mourn Garrett when the creature began to bang on the basement door, trying to find us. Colt was trembling, clawing for an exit somewhere else. We used adrenaline to push the washer aside, and found an old crawl space near the dryer. It looked like it was used to push lint out, but made wide to avoid clogs, just barely big enough for Colt to get out. I demanded he flee down the mountain as I heard the door splinter and snap. The rest stop was a few miles, but if he kept running, he would find it. I crawled away as I found bags of ice to defend myself with. The creature was nearly in the basement. It now took the form of our two boys combined, their arms and legs dangling like spider limbs as it raced toward me, their heads merged into a dreadful mouth as it tried to attack. I flinched and ran up the stairs, this time slamming the door from the other side. I tried to think of anything I could use to kill the thing. The only idea that came to mind was fire. Despite the loss of power, I knew the old propane stove worked, fireplace could be stoked. I'd have to destroy this cabin and try to make the beast burn up in the process. But time was running out. I hurried to turn on the valves and scrambled into the kitchen to find some of your dad's old cigarettes. Ironic, what killed him might be the one thing that saved me, I thought. Then I heard a noise from below like bones breaking, and my heart sank. From the basement stairwell, an abomination lurched out. It could hardly move at all now, combined with all the flesh of our three boys. Cold had returned to save me, I guess, only to go straight into the creature's maw. It used their voices to taunt me, shrilling and shaking, as it struggled to move toward me. I realized their combined size was too much for the beast to handle, and seized the opportunity I ran for your dad's trophy ball and loaded his ancient blunderbuss. The thing hadn't been fired in ages, and I only needed it to work just the one time. The alien was almost on top of me, and I pointed toward its unfathomable mouth and fired. I can't even describe the explosion of guts that cascaded across the cabin. But the deed was done. I sit here now. Having burned the corpses and made sure not a single part of the beast remains, struggling to stay alive and pen this confusion, this testimony to our survival and the survival of all humankind, requires you to believe me. I'm sure the creature infected me as well, and it won't be long and that it'll overtake my mind. It's evolved since it first struck. When it took Luke, it was mindless. Now it sees that to survive, it will need to be smart. Be silent and hide in plain sight. I think it's found a way to recreate hollow shells of our boys. 
keep having strange visions of them, lying in her upstairs beds covered in silk, like that of a spider. Except it ebbs and flows, it breathes. The creature will hide what happened to your master flame. When you come here to meet me and our weekend trip is over, you'll be unaware of what's transpired. Garrett, Colt, Luke, and I will smile and be ready to return home. But you must not believe the smiles. I've managed to use what little sense is left within me and hide this letter in a place that I know it can't find. But you will always check. I grow weak. My mind is not my own. Forgive me, Christy. Please, make certain we do not die here in vain. Please, stop it from spreading. I hope you enjoyed our first camping trip by Kyle Harrison, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Harrison. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. If you haven't read one of his many, many stories out there in the dark corners of the web, well, you just haven't been looking hard enough. Thanks again for your support of this show and tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium, extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Toys to Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Gyrie channel where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Stay tuned, as this season is just getting started. Till next week, stay spooky. And get some sleep if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. 
Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.